Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church today. Let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we were at our worst, you gave us your best. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were your enemies, and you gave us your precious son to die for us. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you that his work on the cross, his death on the cross, dealt with our sin problem in all respects forever. We thank you that after he was buried, you raised him from the dead. We thank you that by simply believing in your son, Jesus Christ, you give us eternal life and you declare us righteous in your eyes forever. We thank you for the family you have gathered around us, both this morning and completely and around the country and the world, the whole body of Christ. Father, we thank you. We thank you that through the preaching of the gospel, the body of Christ grows and that you've given us the tremendous privilege of being a part of that. We also pray, Father, for the needs of the saints this morning. We pray for their difficulties to be, they understand that they can turn to you, that you would give them the comfort and the strength that they need, that you would also come through for them according to your will, because we know that you're working everything out together for the good of those who love you. And we ask, Father, for the guidance of the Holy Spirit today as we continue in the Gospel of John and as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together at the end of this service. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand now and sing the congregation song this morning. By the way, just a little background on that song. It was actually written in the mid-19th century by a lady. And she was the daughter of a pastor. And at that point in time, that song was a children's song, which gives you some idea about the piety and the advancement of teaching that was going on with young people back then. All righty, let's begin now at this time. Just a reminder that we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper at the end of our service today. And again, I'd like to encourage you to invite new people to come and join us. Please please pray about that. And uh, again, the reason is, is because... People out there more than ever need to hear the truth and the good news in this hopeless world. And that's why we're called to do what we do. We don't do it perfectly, but we we do dedicate ourselves to just preaching the gospel and communicating and preaching God's word. And that's what people need. Okay, Even though you've got a 62-year-old overweight pastor, um, it's the word of God that matters. All right, let's begin at this time. Um, Title of today's message comes from the Gospel of John. Chapter 17, I'd like you to turn there now. John 17, verse 1. John 17, verse 1. This is the greatest prayer in the Bible. It's a prayer Jesus prays to the, well, of course, to the Father. That tells you that this is, this is expressing the deepest part of his heart as in his humanity for his Father, for the disciples that were in front of him that night, and for every member of the body of Christ. It's a tremendous prayer. It's, it's just... God giving the opportunity for for his son, Jesus Christ, at the end to talk about what's in his heart right before he's going to go to the cross and die. And in an event, if that be possible, he would welcome because of the accomplishment and the glory that goes to his father. And that glory, by the way, is punctuated when every individual sinner believes in Christ, and God has the, has the opportunity through Jesus Christ to give that sinner eternal life, that brings more glory to God than just about anything else. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you don't mind, I'm going to, we're going to go through this a couple of times. Once again, I'm, we're going to read the entire chapter because it's one prayer. And I think we want to imagine being there as one of the disciples where they're basically now an audience. You know, Jesus has talked about his father Many, many times, as we've seen in the Gospel of John, now at the very end, he's going to turn and talk to his father. And again, the disciples are witnessing that, but at the same time, they're silent, and they're too hearing the deepest things in his human heart. Because remember, Jesus is human and God. He's both. And so there's times, of course, when he's expressing, and even in this prayer, he's going to, he's going to turn from, from expressing things that are in his human heart to the fact that he's the son of God and what he looks forward to when he's back with his father in heaven. So that's all of that is, is, is part of this prayer. It's all there. And we're going to, this morning, we're going to, I hope you just relax and listen to the whole prayer. It's only 26 verses. Then we're going to go back and we're going to look at it in three stages because that's really the way it proceeds. 
And then we're going to then we're just going to um, enter into what it is that he's trying to be effectively communicating, not only to his father again, but also his disciples at that time. And of course, down the centuries now, one of those disciples was God, John, the writer of the gospel. He was given the incredible privilege of being, uh, being called to record this prayer. And because of that, it's in our Bibles, and we can read it too and listen to it. And it's tremendous. It's, it's such a gift when you think about it. I mean, after all, I mean, if God could have had it so that, you know what, he's going to give a time when it's just going to be him and Jesus and nobody else is going to be a part of it. But that's not, in the grace of God, that's not what he did, right? He said, I want to share this with everybody because Jesus is going to pray not only for himself and his father, that's the start of it, then he's going to pray for the disciples in front of him, and then he's going to pray for all, all, all who will hear, he'll hear the preaching that came first from the disciples in belief. And he, and he says, here you go, this is the prayer, I want, to see, I want you to see the heartbeat of my son for you too. With that, let's read it. John chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these things. That's everything he has spoken that evening, both in the upper room and as they proceeded through the city of Jerusalem. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, which is, of course, an expression of prayer, okay, he said, Father, the hour has come. The hour that, was, that he kept mentioning is going to come. It's going to come. It hasn't come yet. He said that in chapter 2 with his mom when his mom wanted him to give, give, the, give them the wine they needed at their wedding so the family wouldn't be embarrassed. He said, my time has not yet come. He, he would say later on that he would say, listen, let's, let's continue while it is still day. The hour is coming when it is evening and nighttime. The hour, of course, is his death on the cross. And and when, if you go and read the Gospel of John with that in mind, that you go back from the very beginning and you look at him talking about the hour, the hour, you have to remember in his humanity, what is he saying? I'm closer and closer to a brutal death. That's what he's saying. And we should never, we should never, feel, that's one of the reasons why, by the way, we keep reading the whole Gospel of John. I again encourage you to do that. Because, you know, the end speaks to the beginning of it. Just like the beginning speaks to the end, the prologue. Right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. And he's the flashing forth of God, and yet he became flesh for our sake. And so we, we take that with us all the way through. But then we get to these places where we see him praying to the Father, and he's basically talking about some of the same things that John talked about at the beginning. But now we can make that connection. And then we see his death and his resurrection and his final words to his disciples. And then we take that with us and then we go back to the beginning with a new appreciation for what it is that John is writing. That's why we want to read this again and again and again. It's not just to be disciplined, although that is, that will develop discipline in your hearts. But so you can see these tremendous connections. And that, by the way, is how John writes. If you haven't noticed how John writes, first John, you can see it clearly. He introduces something, and you're sitting there, and you're wondering, well, I, I, I want to know more because I don't know all the things that he's described, tremendous things. And then you go through it, and it's only at the end when he says these things have been written so that you may know you have eternal life. But then again, if you take that back to the beginning of First John, now things start popping. Your eyes are open. That's how John writes. Unlike Paul, Paul is like, boom, here's what I'm going to talk about. The five things, boom, this is what I talked about. Next thing. Right, that's why it's so easy to find the chapter breaks. And if you ever read the book of Romans and you read the chapters, you're like, well, this makes perfect sense. Right? Well, John's not that easy. You know, there's times when things kind of, one thing bleeds into the next and turns around and looks again. That's why some people accuse John of being repetitive. But that's not it at all. He's bringing up the same subject again. It's almost like he's taking us on a, on a trip around Jesus. And he says something at, at one point, and he comes back around to it. We see more about it. Then he comes back around to it. We see even more, like his relationship with his father. Again, John 17, 1, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. It's his death that's going to do this, right? 
Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh. The word became flesh and has authority over all flesh. But what did he use that authority for in his humanity? What did God give him that authority for? It wasn't just an issue of it could have been. It could have said you just have authority over everything. When Christ comes back, that's exactly what it's going to be. You'll be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But here, he's pinpointing. It's like, it's, like a, it's like a laser beam. This is why I've given you the authority now. Notice, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, all whom you have given him, that's the disciples in front of him and every believer there forward, he may give eternal life. This, one of the most mind-boggling statements in the word of God, Why? Because this is God's son defining eternal life. So you can go other places and read about eternal life. And by the way, we're going to come back to this. This is really what I think we're going to focus on next week, the subject of eternal life. And sure, you can go to other places and read about it. But what we have here is we have Jesus talking to his father, defining it. So I challenge anybody to find a better definition of eternal life than that. When God's son in human flesh goes to the father and and is saying, ah, this is eternal life. What is eternal life? Is it living forever? Well, I guess that's part of it. There is a time dimension to this, I suppose. But we're given it. You have it now. You have it now. It, it, It is a present reality for you and I. It's also, as we're going to see, a reality that we can sort of grow into if I could put it that way. You know, it's like a secret garden, right? Where it's there for you, right? And the key is the word of God in your faith. And you can go there anytime you want. And as you go, you see things more and more alive, okay? But you know what the problem is? There's too many Christians that, A, they don't even know where the, that they have a garden. People, people, when they read eternal life, they don't focus on the fact that it's now. You have it now. Right? We always think about, oh, when I die, I'll be living. That's certainly true, and it's a wonderful thing. But even, even more to the point now is that we have it now, that we have a life that we can get into, if I can put it that way, now. Right? So you, you go into the garden, of, the God's word gets you in there, and now you grow. Well, what do you grow in? The definition of eternal life, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you. That's eternal life. Let that sink in for a minute. What's eternal life? According to Jesus, that we may know God the Father and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Paul puts it this way in the book of Philippians, that I may come to know you. So in other words, this is not not just facts anymore. Okay, the Greek word here, gnosko, doesn't just mean facts. doesn't mean I, I know things like we tend to think of it now. Like you go to school and you learn you know, physics and you know it or you know the, the presidents, right? That's not this. This isn't that at all. This is like, well, I don't know. I'm going to show my age now. But uh, 1988, there was, as there always is, every four years, a presidential campaign. And they had debates back then that were really debates more so than now. And they had a vice presidential candidate debate. Okay, at the time, it was Lloyd Benson, a senator from Texas, and Dan Quayle, an unknown congressman from Indiana. And they're debating, and they're talking about how, how young and inexperienced Dan Quayle is. And they ask him about it for the third time, and he says, hey, listen, you know, John Kennedy, Jack Kennedy, when he ran for president, didn't have any more experience than I had. Senator Benson couldn't resist. He says, I knew Jack Kennedy. And let me tell you, you don't know Jack Kennedy. Well, what is he saying there? Did he say, I read the facts about John Kennedy, Jack Kennedy in the newspaper? Is that what he meant by that? No. He meant what? I knew him personally. I met him. I spent time with him. I got to know his character. I got to know his his brilliance. I got to know him, right? Getting to know God. That's what we're here to do. And it's so wonderful that it is eternal life. 
It's a word that's kind of, we talk about it, but when we say we've been, we have been given it, we have been given the opportunity to get to know the living God, right? Let not a mighty man boast of his might, right? Or a rich man boast of his riches. But let someone who boasts, the Lord says, boast in this, right? That he, they, they may know me and my justice and my mercy. We get to know that. We don't, we're not just, boom, you know, I'm going to read it once and I got it. I know God. Let me tell you about God. There's, there's, uh, he's just, he's righteousness, he's eternal life. You know, we can, we can run through all of that. And it's good to know those things, don't get me wrong. But you know what's better? To live in those things. To say, right, this morning I am in a place where I, in my humanity, we're going to talk about the opposite of eternal life. So that's often a good way to learn about something is to learn about its opposite. See, the unbelieving world does not have eternal life. So that means there's hopelessness, there's anger, there's grief, there's confusion. There's all those things that are the opposite of eternal life. So, and, so when, we, when we enter into who God is, when we say, for example, this morning, I'm feeling very low about myself, I'm feeling that, the boy, the thoughts I had this morning, boy, the, the unsettled business I have with other people, you know, the fact that I'm getting older, or whatever it might be, or that there's something that, there's that sin that so easily besets me that's been, I've been failing in that area now for 30, 40, 50 years. And yet, I have the privilege to then take that key of the word of God and open it up and go into the garden. And say, yeah, but see, here's the thing. When I go into that garden, I get to spend time with the one who's already told me I'm perfectly righteous. Oh, so not only can I say God is righteous, God is just, I can say I spent time with the God who called me, who calls me righteous. Getting to know him. We'll be getting to know him from, for all of eternity. There'll be a time when we will see Jesus Christ. We'll see his glory and we'll realize that we've been glorified with him. So Paul says, he says, those he justified, he glorified. As if it's already, it is in God's eyes, already an accomplished fact. But it takes us day by day, giving us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to get to know him. And Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. You take that. You take that, that reality. I have eternal life. And I want to get to know God better. So whenever I go to a scripture, I'm going to have that mindset. I'm not going to say what's in it for me. I'm not going to say I'm going to try to figure this out. Right? <laughs> By the way, God's already figured you out. And you're never going to figure him out completely. You know that for all of eternity, we're going to be still scratching our heads trying to figure out who God is. All these why questions that we have, you know, why this, why that, why the other thing? We're not going to answer those except what, what? Spending time with him, understanding that I have an opportunity to see, like Paul says, you can see the very depths of God in what the Holy Spirit has revealed to you. And that's now, gang. That's not, he's not saying only when you die. He's saying now. He says, you know, there's a glory. There's a lot of glory in us. Jesus talks about glory. There's a lot of glory now in a day facing what we face, going to the word of God, opening up that, that key to the garden and living there with this crazy world all around us raging. And yet we go there and now we say whatever things are just, whatever things are righteous, whatever things are holy, think on those things now. That gives great glory to God. It really does. You know, because glory is just allowing grace in our lives to change us. You know, the, again, the greatest glory imaginable, this is why the angels are watching us, is to see somebody who is dead, dead in their trespasses and sins, and God makes them alive. That's the, there's, there's nothing more glorious than that as far as God is concerned. Oh, sure, we think about glory in terms of we're going to see him. He's going to be on the clouds. And those, are, those are visual expressions of that. But the essence of his glory is that he has mercy and love and forgiveness and grace. That he can take the lowest, like Paul, the worst sinner who ever lived, make him the, the greatest saint who ever lived. Glory to God for that. You know, and I, 
I, I think sometimes we, we, we think about in our best moments, right? In our best moment, now I'm glorifying God. You know what? You know when you glorify God the most? In your worst moments. That's when you glorify him, Lord. Because you don't glorify, he glorifies himself through you. That's, and, and that's the whole idea, is to understand that he's, it's his glory. He's the one who has allowed me to step into it. And he glorifies himself through me. Just like, by the way, the humanity of Jesus Christ. And that gets us back to the scripture. You're like, like well, finally he's back. You know, we're so tethered. And this is good. We should be, in a sense, tethered to the word of God. That's fantastic. But it's a tether with a freedom associated with it. So we can, sometimes we should just also say, and now he's given me freedom to understand this, to take some time to look at him. And then we go back again. John chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these things and lifting his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come for him to die. Glorify your son. It, as I'm going to the cross, that your son may glorify you by completing the work you've given me on the cross, even as you've given, gave him authority over all flesh, that to all you, Father, have given him, Jesus Christ, he, Jesus Christ, God's son, may give eternal life. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified, notice, I glorified you, Father, on the earth. How? Having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. The glory is, see, see when G, we're going to look at it, if we get that far this morning, we're going to see how Jesus and God were in glory together from before the world was, from all of eternity past, before there was anything. Right? They, they had glory. Now he comes down to earth and he becomes a slave, the Bible actually says. A worm, Psalm 22 says. Imagine that. God's son becoming a worm, worm, becoming a curse on the cross for us. And so, so he's saying, now the point of my glorifying you when I'm on earth, Father, is to accomplish the work that you have given me to do. And so here on earth, this, this, this world that didn't even recognize their creator when he came here, he says, this is where I had glory from all of eternity, but here's where I'm going to express it, and I'm going to show it, I'm going to manifest it, I'm going to die. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, this is the hour, Father. Glorify me and notice together with yourself. It's inseparable. Jesus, can, Jesus cannot ask for glory other than having it tie into the fact that the Father is glorified. I and the Father are one. Yes, I've come, I'm the one who's come to earth, taken on flesh, and there's great glory in my death, and I'll have the joy set before me, and the glory is that there'll be many sons and daughters brought to glory, but then that's yours, Father. It's inseparable. And that's the, that's the experience we'll have on a lower level, when we, have, when we are entering into the same thing. He's going to say, another place, he's going to say, your commandment, Father, is eternal life. Right? What does that mean? It means when you're doing what God has told you to do, and it's not do this or I'm going to, you know, we're not condemned. There's no condemnation. But it's, you know what's really living? It's doing what the Father has told you, he asked you to do, he's called you. But really living eternal life is also understanding your calling and your purpose and living in that. that that's eternal life. So loving one another, forgiving one another, understanding that you've been gifted, right? Whatever that gift might be and using that gift. You may have the gift of mercy, but the way that God is glorified is when you use the gift he's given you, grace, for the benefit of somebody else. Because that's what Jesus did, right? He said, I'm going to do the work, and it's going to benefit others. And that's how you're going to glorify me, Father, and I'm going to glorify you. Verse 4 again, I glorified you on the earth. He's with him for all of eternity, but he glorified him here now, this world, this deadly world. I glorify you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself back together with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Can you see the astounding loop there? 
You start with the God of glory, and it's a Godhead, and there's God the Father and God the Son, and then there's this creation. The creation went, collapsed, rebelled, pure evil has taken over the creation of God's creation. And the Father says, sending you, and you're going to go there. You're no longer going to see my glory. You're no longer going to be in heaven as the Son of God. You are the Son of God, but now you're on earth. And, and then you're going to work, and in a sense, he's going to be experiencing things that he never experienced when he was in glory. He's going to be experiencing death. Can you imagine? Think about the Godhead who was pure life. In him was life. Well, and at the, so he's going to come to a place where there's death. And not only that, but he's going to die. And then he's back into the glory of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And now the Word, the word he's going to say, I'm not in the world anymore. Once I die, I know I'm on my way back to you, Father. And then once again, I'm going to be glorified with you. Only now, I'm going to be glorified with you in a new way. My humanity that, that died and was, and was raised again. Glorify me together with yourself, the glory which I had with you before the world was. Verse 6. I have manifested your name. Your name. Tie that together with eternal life for a moment. Why am I saying that? What is eternal life? That I may know you, Father, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God, Jesus Christ is saying, I manifested you, your name, your, the name had to do with who he is, manifested your glory, I manifested your character, manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. The disciples now, this is the disciples, okay? Sometimes we like to throw ourselves everywhere, don't we? Well, that, I'm, gonna go, I'm going there now. Well, not yet, hold on. When you get to verse 20, it'll be our time. Right now, he's talking about the disciples, that first generation, the men that saw him. They beheld his glory, as John says in 1 John. That's who he's talking about. And those are particularly men that he noticed. He says, you gave them to me, Father. I mean, that's humble. That's selfless. Right? What would we have said? You know, I'm the one. I went up to the mountain, and then I got this vision, and then I found these guys. That's what we would probably say. That's not true. If it's, it, 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 Jesus realized that he, he's, a, he's human as well as God. And in his humanity, he needs friends. He needs people that he's going to share what he knows with. And the Father gave those people to him. When I come here on Sundays to preach the word of God, I didn't get any of you. I know I'm asking you to invite people. But all of that really is God's gift to me, to you, to everybody else. And Jesus, Jesus is looking at that, looking at these men and saying, "What, a, you, Father, you gave me this gift of these people. And I did exactly what you told me to do with these people. And now these people, when I go, they're going to stay. And they're going to be in this lousy world, but we're going to be there with them. I manifested your name to the men you gave me out of the world, out of this world. They were yours. Notice, they were his first. You know, if God knew about you from before, obviously before you were born. He's always known that the day would come when he was going to give you and me to his son, Jesus Christ, just like he did with the disciples. And, and then you have people that want to, want to say, well, you know, is God, God predestines people to hell. That is one of the things that makes me angry when people say that, when they totally misapply what Jesus is saying here. He is saying, you know, Father, in my humanity, in my humbleness, I realize that you gave me these people. I didn't, this isn't what I did, it's what you gave me. I mean, it's humanity now. He's saying that. And that from all of eternity, God knew us. That's by the way, foreknowledge. It's got nothing to do with the unbeliever, by the way. God didn't predestine an unbeliever. God's not willing that any should perish. At the same time, he realizes that his son's going to die and people are going to believe him. And that's the reason why he allowed his son to die. There's going to be many sons that are brought to glory. And that's the gift 
And we're going to see that's the gift that keeps on giving because we are going to find out how the church started and grows. All right. So, again, I have manifested your name, verse 6, to the men which you gave me out of the world. They were yours, Father. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, notice the word now again. The hour has come. Now glorify me together. Now they have what? Verse 7. Now they have come to know. There it is. They've come to know. They've spent time with him on earth, yes. They heard his teachings. They wrestled with them. They struggled with them. They misunderstood them. But even along the way, you saw glimpses like when Peter said, Everyone's running away from Jesus because he talked about eating his flesh, drinking his blood. Jesus goes to his disciples and says, okay, what about you? And that was a real moment in the humanity of Jesus. We tend to, you know, sort of spiritualize it and say, well, but it's a real moment in his humanity. He's saying, what about you guys? What are you going to do now? And what does Peter say? Where are we going to go? You have words of eternal life, which now we know, going back and taking what we just learned this morning and bringing it back to chapter 6. What was he saying? You have the words that tell me how to know the God in heaven. That's what he was saying. So there were glimpses along the way. And they came to know him. Now they have come to know, verse 7, that everything you have given me is from you. And it's interesting. I mean, we might, if we say this and we just think about it as a fact, we might say, well, duh, right? That's obvious. Wouldn't we? And say, well, everything you've given me is from you. I mean, it kind of seems just like a, like, well, of course, right? If I, say, I, I say, if I say I give my son a new car, which is kind of a crazy thing to do, by the way, unless maybe they're 50, but in any event... <laughs> I give my son a new car, and then he says, this is from you, Dad. I'm like, duh, of course it's from me. I gave it to you. So why would Jesus say this? Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. The only way that that makes any sense is when they, that they didn't always know that. They didn't know that everything that the Father had given me is from you. Why? Not because they, it's because they didn't know the Father had given it to him. They thought something else about those things. The miracles, for example. They looked at the miracles and they were, just, they were really impressed. And, 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 but they didn't connect. This is, a, this is from God the Father. Okay? Yes, Jesus is the Messiah. But this gift is from the Father for us. All the gifts, by the way, that we have come through Jesus Christ. And, and sometimes that's the last thing that we you know, become aware of. You know, we pray and we say, Father, thank you for, right? We might say, thank you for my husband. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for the word of God. And he's saying all along, it all came through my son. And that's something we need to come to know. They have come to know that everything you've given me is from you. For the words, the very words which you gave me, I have given to them. That, that's tremendously important. You want to know why? Because later in chapter 17, he's going to say, through, I'm, not going to, I'm not, Father, praying right now just for my disciples, but for all who will come to you on the basis of their words. And where did they come? Where did the words come from? We marvel about John's gospel. Where did it come from? The Father, through Christ. The words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them. And then they came to truly understand that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, the disciples in front of him that evening, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those you have given me. Notice that's when he looks, when Jesus, we know when the Father looks at us, he sees us through the blood of his Son. And that's why we can say, well, you're, you're perfect in my eyes because you have now believed in the Savior, my son. But when Jesus looks at us, what does he say? 
I, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me. In other words, that's what, that's what Jesus says when he sees us. You are the gift that God has given me. Yeah. And that's tremendous to think about. I mean, I mean it's true that, we, that he is the, obviously the greatest gift, right? The unspeakable gift. But when he looks at us, he says, yes, but you're a gift to me. That, again, that's a good reason to wake up in the morning and take that key and go in the garden. You know who I am? Oh, yeah, I'm the one who did all those sins. I'm the one who lied. I'm the one that had those terrible thoughts. I'm the one who skipped church. I'm the one who maybe committed adultery. I'm the one who's stolen from people in the past. Well, now step into the garden to find out who you are. You're a gift from the living God to his son. That's who you are. But I asked on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but on those whom you've given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And this is God's son, but it's in his humanity. And and don't we have to come to this point? It's a long, hard journey for a human being to come to this point. This point, what? When we say, everything I have is yours, God. Everything I have, like Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because it's all from him. It's all from him. Everything. Everything that you realize is a blessing. You You didn't create it yourself. You didn't earn it. It's all from him. All things that are mine are yours. If all things that are yours are mine, that's the other side of the coin. Right? We've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places where? In Christ. See it? So how do we get how do we get to move into those blessings? In Christ, right? Meaning what? Get to know him, get to understand, and then you'll see what he's talking about with those blessings. Because they're all from God. They're all from God. All things that are mine are yours, yeah, and all things that are yours are mine. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Do you believe that you have access to the power that raised Jesus from the dead? You do, I hope. And that, how did you do that? Did you imagine that? Did you wake up and say, you know, like the Greeks used to say, ah, I'm going to create a God this week and I'm going to call him Zeus and he's going to have all this power. And as long as we go into this temple and bribe him with whatever we bring in, wow. No, God came down and God said, These are, this is mine and I'm giving it to you. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I have been glorified in them. In them, in what? The people that God has given him. I am no longer in the world and yet they themselves are in the world. Notice that. I, Jesus, is no longer in the world. Why? Because he's already, you know, mentally he's already on the cross. And mentally, he's already in the grave, and he's already been raised from the dead. And he's in, in, in his seeing and understanding is the plan of his father. No longer in the world, what notice. But they themselves, these are the disciples now, are still in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them, guard them, protect them in your name, your character who you are, who they've come to know you are. Guard them. Keep them in your power. Keep them in your love. Keep them in your justice and your righteousness, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. So, so what's he praying for here? Well, first of all, he's saying, I, I'm out of the world. I spent 33 years in the world. I know all about the world now. As God, he knew it, but as human, he came to know it. He came to know the the, the agony of the world, the evil of the world. He came to know death. He came to know betrayal. He knew that there's nothing good in that world, just like he knew there's nothing good in man apart from what God gives, right? So he says, look, I'm coming out of the world, and they're staying in there, and the world's going to hate them. And I'm going to give them a mission, and the world will hate them even more as they carry that out. 
I am no longer in the world, yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Holy Father. What does that mean? It means that his, the purity of God's essence, of God's holiness, of his, of his perfection, all of that, he's, on, he's saying, I'm, giving, I'm coming to you in your holiness, Father. Keep them, guard them, protect them in your name. Protect them in your righteousness. Protect them in your word, the name which you have given me. And notice the goal here. It's very important that they may be one, that they may be united, even as we are. Right? There's that picture again. There's that picture of the Father and the Son, united from all of eternity, Son coming down, becoming human being, understanding in a new way what it means to be one with the Father. And he understands the tremendous power of unity. And that's what his prayer was for his disciples. That they would stay together. That they would obey the commandment to love one another as he has loved them. That they may be one, even as we are. And then verse 12. While I was with them, he's he's already on the cross, okay, in his mentality now. When I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. He taught them so many things about the Father. He showed who the Father was. He showed his compassion. We, they saw him weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. They saw him where, where again and again his heart went out. The people that he saw were suffering. He, he, he looked at those 5,000 that had come to hear him. And he said, they're hungry. They're hungry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a way to feed them. I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition so that the scripture would be fulfilled. He lost one. Actually, there was one who was lost and kept himself lost. And of course, that's Judas. And he's gone now. He's not in front of them. That the scripture would be fulfilled. God can take the greatest evil and turn it into the greatest good. The evil in the heart of Judas, the very evil that Satan was allowed to go into him, a horrible, horrible thing to contemplate. God used that. And he said, you know, that's going to be the catalyst for, on a human level for Jesus Christ to be propelled forward towards his death. You can do nothing against the truth, only for the truth. You meant it for my evil. God meant it for good. Verse 13, but now I come to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. What is he asking them for here? Asking him, what is he asking the Father for, for the benefit of those disciples that were in front of him that night? Yeah. Yeah, this is not complicated. You see, so the point of this isn't, you know, I mean, sure, are we going to look up the Greek for joy? Are we going to find where joy is in the other scriptures? Are we going to grapple what he means by that? Yeah, but at the end of the day, we want, to, we want to enter into that. What is he saying? He's saying, I speak so that they may have joy. And he wants that joy to be made full. There's that growing again. There's that coming to know. There's that stepping into that garden and spending time there and realizing that the joy of the Lord is there and that, we, and that he wants that for us as well as the disciples that night, that their joy may be made full in themselves, a joy that the world cannot give, a joy that can never be taken away, that's there in good times and in bad that that, that, that that understanding of who God is and understanding who Jesus is and growing in that knowledge and seeing the world and seeing the total and complete opposite between the, the horrors of the world and the love of God and knowing that we're, we're on God's side and we're going to be with him forever and we're with him now and Jesus is in us now and he, um, he's in him, us now because he died for us and that's tremendous joy. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Notice the primacy of the word. The word, once again, I've given them. Why? Because that's the key, right? That's the key. He understands that. He can say here and he does, I want them to be united. 
But then, then they have the key of the word of God and the Holy Spirit. We find out that in the, in the letter of Ephesians that he's already established the unity between the, between the children. And really, all, all we're going to do is keep it. All we're going to do is obey him. And as we love one another, as he has loved us, then the, we, we participate. It's a great thing to participate in something God's already made because it's perfect. We participate in that unity of the body. Right. And now he is saying, I want your, that joy to be made full. I've given them your word. I've taught them about what this joy is all about. And now they're going to experience it. Why? The world has hated them. When, when we're young, when we're born, human beings fallen in Adam always think that they're going to find their joy somewhere out there. Somewhere over the rainbow, we're going to find joy. Right? If only. You know, I don't have it now, but if only. If only I made the fifth million dollars, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have joy. If only I have, if I only find the person of my dreams, then it'll be pure joy. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but there's everything wrong with trying to seek your joy in this fallen world that if you're a Christian hates you, that this world that's passing away, that this world, that anything that you seek out there in the world that you think can give you joy, you will not have when you die. As a matter of fact, you lose it while you're still here. He who gains his life will lose it. If you've placed your, the goal of joy in the things of this world, you're going to be disappointed. As a matter of fact, the world hates you. You know, you go, it's like, imagine somebody who hates you, okay, just hates you, hates you with a passion. And then you wake up in the morning and saying, I need joy. I think I'm going to go to this person who hates me. Let me see. Can I get a lot of joy out of that person right now? Of course not. Now, you may say that's silly, but that's exactly what we do when we go to the desires of the flesh. When we go to the lies of this world, when we get, we go to the glory, the way the world defines glory, you know. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful when people point to the things of this world and talk about the glory of God. It's not there. But we have it. We have it. Now he says, I have given them your word. word. Hold on to it. And the world has hated them because they're not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, they're not of the lusts of the flesh. They're not of the desires of the eye. They're not of those things at all. Paul's going to say later on, I've been crucified to the world. The world has been crucified to me. And that's nothing more than him having woken up to the difference between the world and Christ. 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world. Why? Because he knows what's going to happen for the good. He knows that by leaving them there and having the hostility of the world, they're going to still fulfill their mission of preaching the gospel. And that's why he left them there. They're going to they're grow in knowledge and love of him in these terrible circumstances. They're in this bunker and everything's shooting at them. And they're still sitting there and they're realizing how much they're loved. They're realizing that, that the best thing we can do is love one another as he has loved us. You know, that's going to be easy in heaven, gang. I mean, this is going to be the easiest thing in the world. But here it's not so easy, is it? Here, it's not so easy to say, this morning when I wake up and I'm kind of tired and I didn't get enough sleep, yet I know why I'm here. And the thing about it is the simplest step I take is to simply love somebody else who's in the body this morning. Maybe it's a simple thing. Maybe it's just praying for them. Maybe it's just giving them a ride to church, whatever it might be. Maybe it's just smiling at somebody who's never, you haven't seen smile in a long time. Whatever those things are. You know, that's what that's why we're here. We're here for one another. We're here to preach the gospel to the world. I do not. Verse 14 again. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world. You're not of the world. We've seen that. Even I, as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Sometimes we probably feel very exposed to evil. Sometimes we probably feel like it's getting the better of us. 
we look at these things in our flesh that we can't get rid of on our own. And we wish we could, and yet sometimes it gets the better of us. We look at this world and we look and see all the hatred and all the fears that are out there in the world, all the despair, and it can get to us if we're not careful. But then we have to remember that there's a power at work for us to keep us from those things. Paul talks about the full armor of God. Where did that come from? Did you create? A lot of people think they have to manufacture the full armor of God. If I only just believe more, if I only just, you know, better, if I'm only better, you know, they think that they think somehow that the breastplate of righteousness they're manufacturing out of their own so-called goodness. No way. It's all been given to you. It's all been given to you. Why? So that this prayer can be answered. You know, you can really tie in just about everything in our spiritual life back to these prayers that Jesus. That's the wonder of this. That's why we should go back to it. I've been coming, and not to brag, but it's just show you that ever since I didn't even understand any of these things, I was always drawn to chapter 17. It always felt so joy. A lot of people say this is gloomy because he's going to the cross. I got to tell you, it never feels that way to me. I mean, how can you talk about the unity of all the believers? How can you talk about, he's going to say at the end, Father, you and I, and I and them, right? And them and me, that we may be perfected in unity and the love which you've had for me may be in them and I am in them. How can you possibly look at that and not see the joy in it? And every time you go back, you're going to see it. Every time. Three o'clock in the morning, you can't sleep. You just found out terrible news about your health or your child or whatever, right? There's the key. There's the garden. Hey, there's John 17. That's one. These are one of the, or Romans 8 or anywhere in the book of Ephesians. That's the whole idea. The whole idea is not to come here on Sunday and check a box and then go back to this lousy world thinking you're going to find something there. The idea is for this to be, have your heart open, to have your eyes open, and then to keep them open. And the way you do that is by coming back to the Word. Yes, the Word preached, but also the Word written, because you can go to that. You've been equipped. You have the Holy Spirit in your heart. Right? You have an anointing, as it were, not a weird, you know, I'm going to go speak in tongues anointing, but much better than that. The anointing to understand these things, to get to know him better. And so that's what he's talking about. Verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world. I get it, Father. You've got a purpose for them. and They have to be there. As it were, they have to be in that furnace of affliction so that, that, that what they can, they, they're, 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 those things are turned bit by bit into character and into love and into hope, into the, the diamonds that come out of the pressure and the heat. I know that. But then he says, just keep him from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. See, he even repeats himself when he prays to his father. Isn't that something? You know, we disdain repetition. We should, Jesus repeated himself before the father. Is that because the father didn't understand the first time? You think so? You think so? Father, I don't think you understand. I'm going to tell you again. Mm-mm. Nope. He is expressing himself. They are not of the world, verse 16, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. How are they going to get through? How are they going to complete their mission? How are they going to be joyful in this lousy, horrible, wicked world? Simple. Sanctified. That word, sure, there's a component of that that means purity and holiness and what we think of as sanctification, but the basic meaning of it is set apart for a purpose. You know, how do, we, how, do we get, how do we not listen to the desires of the flesh? By listening to the desires of the Spirit. It's when we're propelled forward in God's plan for our life, when we are set apart and know it and rejoice in it. That's what he's saying. Set them apart. Put them on this track so they don't get off on the track that goes nowhere, right? Set them apart. And how does he set us apart? Usually when I ask a question during service, guess what? It's right in the very verse that we're looking at. Verse 17, sanctify them. How? In the truth. 
Yeah. How do we find our purpose in the truth of the word of God? How do we understand the tools that we have to combat the world and the flesh and the evil one? Well, we're set apart in something. And what is that something? Sanctify them in the truth. And you might say, oh man, the truth. Everyone's talking about it. Apparently the world tells us these days that I got my truth and you got your truth. And there's a certain truth that can only come from a certain voice. And I have a voice and you have a voice. And I I, I suppose that any truth will do. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Find your higher power, whatever works for you. No. Very simple. Your word is truth. Jesus is getting very straightforward here in his prayer. He says, I'm going to tell you what eternal life is. It is coming to know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. I'm going to talk about the truth. It equals, it is the word of God. Our challenge isn't so much to read this or see the mathematics of it. Our challenge is to live that way. Our challenge is to soak up the truth in the word of God so that we realize that we are protected from this world and we've been set apart for a purpose and to know what that purpose is and to strive for that. You know, Paul says that we should, we should be striving for eternal life. That tells you that eternal life is something that you can grow in, that you can reach out for, live in more now in time. And the way we do that is by obedience to the to the commands of the Lord that tells us how he wants us to be and live. All right, let's close in prayer so we can get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. We bring into remembrance the thing that glorified Jesus and glorified the Father more than anything else. Father, we thank you this morning that we have been able to spend some time with you in this great, 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 great prayer of your Son. We thank you that we're able to follow that up by once again celebrating and bringing to remembrance the death of the Lord and all that it accomplished. You called it here, Jesus called it the work that you have given him to do. And now it is finished. It is accomplished. And boy, what that has means now for those who believe in your son. Help us to bring to remembrance this morning some more of that. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Now the greatest challenge of the morning for most of us, me for sure, opening up the communion elements from that package, whatever they have there, it's like super glue. I don't know what it is. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, 
The hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all that you have given him, he may give eternal life. When Jesus asked the Father to glorify him, glorify him, he was asking to go forward, to have the Father clear the way from there to the cross to his death. He understood that his Father will be glorified by that too. And the way that works ultimately is that he knows his, his death opened up the, the floodgates of the truth of the gospel and the power of it, the power of the word of the cross, such that whoever believes in it, Jesus gives eternal life to. The Father gives eternal life to. All that the Father gives him, they receive eternal life. But again, in order to get there, Jesus must pass through the awful terror of the crucifixion. I want to talk about his humanity, right? I have to realize that that's what he was saying. He was saying, I understand what I'm about to go through. I understand physically what I'm about to go through. I understand in my soul what I'm about to go through. I understand that as much as I came in contact with the world and the sins of the world, this is going to be a hundred times more difficult because I'm going to actually bear those sins in my body when I'm going through the worst possible fleshly suffering than anybody can imagine. And yet, he considered that terrible cup of suffering to be all joy. If you want to understand joy, want to open a key to that, then look at the heart of Jesus on the cross, realizing that for the joy set before him, he endured it disregarded all that shame. His joy, first of all, was to do the will of his father. But he is also joy because he knew that by enduring that pain, he will make it possible to bring many sons and daughters to glory. And if you're a believer in Christ, you're one of those sons and daughters. So when we bring into remembrance the death of the Lord, consider that his death brought life to the world. What kind of life? Eternal life. That they may come to know the Father and Jesus Christ, a new quality of life, not just a duration, a heavenly life. And that starts the moment we believe in him. For I received from the Lord that, all, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, You and I proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray now. Father, we thank you again for all that has transpired, for this experience of you, for this coming to expression in our hearts, truths that we now clearly see, more clearly see. We thank you for that. We thank you that you've given a new layer of understanding to the meaning of the death of your son. Father, help us to carry that with us. Help us to go back to that garden whenever we need to so that that truth may continue to set us free. We may continue to live in the only thing worthwhile, which is you and the knowledge of you and your son. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And you know the drill. We're back together on Thursday at 6.30. By the way, that's not a bad way to introduce somebody if you want. You know, listen, you don't, you know, I, I, I don't go there on Thursday. I just go on Skype. You can go on Skype with me. <laughs> I'd obviously rather have them here. But if you're like skittish maybe a little bit, just have them, have them just tune in. Hey, see what you think, right? And then follow up. And then say, listen, I'm gonna, now we're going to go, okay? This was not just so you could hear a guy's voice, right? experience the unity of the body. It's another reason we're here. Experiencing the unity of being together, brothers and sisters. By the way, that's impressive. 
Did you know that? When they, when they come in and they see, wait a minute, these people, I don't, why, I don't get it. Why are they all together, right? And they see love, which is the ultimate, by the way. Ultimately, we're here to grow in the love of God for one another and for him. And that's, that's palpable, right? People can get sense that. People can believe me. When they walk in here and they walk in a place where, the, where that church or whatever it is hasn't come to a, even a simple understanding of that, there's a difference, okay? And that's part of, that is part of why we're here, right? A love for one another. They're going to understand, wait a minute, there's something here that I don't understand yet, but it's powerful, and they're telling me it comes from God, and I want to know more. I want to have more. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this morning. We ask, Father, that we would continue now in your word, continue to get to know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.